All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you all. It's good to see you. The sun is shining. It's beautiful out. And, uh, and we're here together, and we're opening the scriptures. So uh, if you all have a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and open up to John chapter 13. And today's message is a continuation of uh, a message that I gave a couple weeks ago, uh, talking about the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, we, it's easy to undermine, particularly wh- what the essence of that command is, and it's simply to love one another. That's, that's the, that is the essence of the commandment that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples before he was betrayed and crucified and before he was resurrected and glorified. And uh, today we're just going to uh, continue developing this. And I particularly am very excited uh, about this. Um, I don't know why exactly, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just excited to share this. Because I think, as I was talking to the Lord this morning, uh, I just, I just understanding that this is important to him. Like, this isn't just about, like, and I've said this before the last time, this isn't just about, oh, yeah, you know, that was a great message. Thank you for that message. But this is something that the Lord cares about. And this is something that Jesus desires of us. This is something that Jesus wants from us. And so I want to get excited about the things that Jesus is excited about. You know, I think oftentimes we uh, major on the minor things and minor on the major things. But how about we major on the major things and minor on the minor things? And what we're talking about today is a major thing. (laughs) And it's simply our love for one another. Our love for one another. And so I think, I think that should get us excited, right? <laughs> but sometimes, you know, when we talk about loving each other, it's, ugh, you know, that person rubs me the wrong way, this person rubs me the wrong way, this, that, this, that. And, you know, uh, but the, the truth of the matter, it says in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to I'm going to ask the Lord this morning um, that he would do a Romans 5.5 kind of thing in our hearts to, uh, this morning. That he would pour his love into our hearts. Not only that we would love him wholeheartedly, but that we would love one another the way that Jesus commanded us to love each other. All right? So I'll say a prayer and I want to, and then I'm going to begin with a, a, a story Kind of a recap and then a story to kind of intro us for today. So, Father, we come before you in the name of your glorious son, Jesus. And we say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you sent your son to uh, take our sins upon himself so that we could be redeemed, that we could be forgiven, and that we could have unhindered access to your presence. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do a Romans 5.5 event this morning, Lord, that you would pour your love into our hearts, not only that we would love you more, but that we would love each other deeper, Lord. So God, I'm asking that you would touch us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, I have you guys at uh, John chapter 13, and I want you all to look at verses 34 and 35, and I just want to recap where we were at a couple weeks ago. And this is what Jesus says 
this is what Jesus said to his disciples the night of his betrayal when he was in that upper room. He says this in John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this is, this is the new commandment that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples, right? Previously, it was, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus says, I'm elevating that to a whole new dimension. I'm elevating that to a whole new stratosphere. And he's saying, love one another just as I have loved you. And the essence of that command is this, is lay your life down. <laughs> lay your life down for one another. He says, don't just, don't just treat people with just, you know, you, you want to treat people with dignity and respect. And that's, that still applies today. That's, that's what we do. That's what we're called to. But he says, people who are, he says, born-again believers, people who are a part of your spiritual family, by my blood, by that act on the cross, he says, lay your life down for each other. That's the essence of the command. And so last, uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how Jesus is our Lord and that because he's our Lord, he can give us a command, right? Because, because he's our Lord and we say, Lord, uh, you are Lord of my life, which is the most basic part about being a Christian, is that we give up our rights and we say, Lord, you can tell me what to do, right? And us in the, uh, the West... American Christians, American believers, we don't like being told what to do, but when you come to the Lord Jesus, he is your Lord. <laughs> He's your Lord, and he can tell you what to do, and this commandment isn't an option, and it isn't a suggestion, it's a command, and that means he expects us to obey it, right? But the Lord Jesus, he's so kind in this way, is that he does not give us a command that he doesn't first show us what it looks like to do it. Right, And so earlier in that chapter, he stoops down and he takes off his outer garment. He puts a towel around his waist and he stoops down and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, do just as I have done for you. This is the model. Jesus modeled it. It's glorious, isn't it? <laughs> and so today we're going to continue on about this and this is you know so if you guys you guys have the notes in front of you and it looks kind of odd because the original way that I sent it in was a whole you know four page document but then pastor Jesse was like hey we should probably split this down the middle right <laughs> so it's like it's like we should probably split this you know give you put it in two parts and so that's why we're picking up in <laughs> Roman numeral 3 here um, but I want to begin with a story of when the Lord began to mark my heart and began to mark my life for, uh, with this particular commandment, but with this particular kind of love. And uh, because what I believe is this, and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm standing by it, I believe that when the Lord moves in power again in our nation, like the first and the second great awakening, like Azusa, like the Toronto outpouring, or whatever other revival that has taken place, I believe he is going to emphasize this command right here. 
that it's not just about let's gather for an event. It's not just going to be about, you know, how, how good is your theology, how good is your doctrine. It's going to be about how deep is your love for one another. That's the kind of Christianity that the Lord is going to raise up. I guarantee it. Because it's not only a command, but when Jesus gave it to his disciples, he trusted in the Holy Spirit to produce this in his people. And so uh, the story begins back in 2018. And uh, back in 2018, in February, actually around this time, a few years ago, the Lord, I was reading the Luango book. And if you know Luango, really intense Fasting and prayer kind of general dude, you know, really epic voice like this, you know. <laughs> and so, so he was, uh, I was reading one of his books called The Jesus Fast, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, would you give me 10 days a month for fasting and prayer? And I gave him my yes. And so for about six months, I'm fasting and praying 10 days a month. And in, uh, during that time, I was meditating on 1 John. And John is the apostle of love. In all of his letters, in all of his writings, he talks about love. And uh, as he was, as I've been, as I was meditating on uh, John's first epistle, I was so, my heart was so filled and so consumed with the kind of love that Jesus is describing here that I said, I, I don't know what to do, but I've got to lay my life down. And it was, it, was, it was like, you know, you're, when you're fasting, your heart is tender, and you're just like, you know, and when you, you combine it with meditating on Scripture, you know, your heart is just full, right? And my heart was so full of this love that Jesus was describing in this new commandment. I was like, I've got to lay my life down in some kind of way for my friends. I don't know what it's going to look like. And I was like, I probably won't take a bullet for somebody in Hazlitt. But, you know, it's like, it's like but what I, what I can do is I can fast and pray for my friends. And so I said, that's the way that I'm going to lay my life down. And I'm saying this not because it's like, oh, wow, you know, that's amazing. But I'm, I'm getting to a point, a, a prophetic word that was uttered at a conference that I went to. And so for, I, I committed my heart. I said, I'm going on a 21-day Daniel fast, for, not for myself, not for personal breakthrough, but for my friends. I said, that's the way I'm going to lay my life down. And so Around uh, day 16, day 17, I'm traveling with a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Justin Reed and Garrett Anderson, and we're going out, out to Colorado to uh, a fasting and prayer conference. I didn't really know it was a fasting and prayer conference, <laughs> but I was in the middle of my own personal Daniel fast for my friends. And when we get to Colorado, we get to the conference, and they're like, we're calling a three-day water fast. And so I was like, oh, you know, this is, you know, I'm already on a Daniel fast, but, you know, it's just going to level up in intensity here. And this is the same conference, and I've told this story a few times before here at SOCC, but this was the conference uh, the conference moment where I get the stadium vision, and the Lord speaks to me about a Jesus movement happening. It's the last day of this conference, and it's, so it's day 20 into my own personal fast. It's the last day of this three-day fast at a conference, and this woman stands up, and she, she's, she must have been like a spiritual mama in the house, and so they, they gave her a microphone, and she stands up in front of about 300 of us, and it was if she was talking directly to me. Right, as, I'm, as my heart is filled with love, consumed with love, I've laid my life down in fasting and prayer for my friends in love, 
and she stands up and she gives a prophetic word that I want to speak to us because more than just a declaration, it's an invitation. It's an invitation into laying our lives down in love. And so she stands up, and it was as if she was speaking right to me. She was speaking to all of us, but she was, it was like her words were pointed directly to me, and it marked my heart very deeply. And this is the kind of, this is the generation that I believe that the Lord is raising up, people who will sacrifice everything for love. People who will lay their lives down for the kind of love that the Lord Jesus uh, asked us or commanded us to in the scriptures here. And so I have uh, uh, the words that she spoke. And so she stands up, she has a microphone, and this is the prophetic word, and she named it a generation of laid down lovers. And so as you guys hear these words, I want it to just let it wash over your heart. Let it wash over your mind and maybe challenge you in the, in the way that you may uh, see and view this new commandment here and what we're talking about today. And so this is the prophetic word called a generation of laid down lovers. And she spoke and she said this, God is raising up a generation of laid down lovers, those who will overcome the darkness by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This generation will be turned into love, transforming regions into kingdom culture. There is no greater force to transform than love. Jesus is asking each of you, will you receive this call? Will you receive the call to lay down your life? Will you yield yourself to those who have pioneered and received wisdom to know how low one can go? The lower you go, the more of him you can contain. You are the generation that will lay themselves down for the fullness of love. God will release grace for you to yield yourself completely and fully to love. May the cry of your heart and the legacy you leave behind be, they were the ones who loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they overcame the darkness because they understood the power of the blood of the Lamb. This generation will not love their lives even unto death. And that was the prophetic word. <laughs> that was the word. Will you lay your life down in love? And that's what Jesus is talking about in the new commandment. It's more than just tolerating people. It's more than just, okay, I'm going to bear with you. But it's about experiencing and delighting in one another in the love of God, right? It's not something that our flesh can work up. It's not something that we can just grit our teeth and say, I'm going to love you. But it's, it comes from abiding. It comes from knowing how loved you are by God and abiding in his love. And then from that overflow, from that outflow, we are able to love one another in the love of God. Amen. So I'm picking up here in Roman numeral three in paragraph A, and uh, I want to develop this uh, a little bit more, and this is about growing in our love for one another. It's about growing in our love for one another. And so I'm picking up here in paragraph A talking about divine love, and this is it. Our obedience to the new commandment to love one another 
is directly connected to and an overflow of our obedience to the first and greatest commandment, to love God wholeheartedly. As Jesus exemplified and commanded, love for one another originates from God because he is love. And we must be taught by him how to love one another as he commanded us. And so this is my point here, is this, is that, is that uh, the first commandment is still the first commandment. When we're talking about the new commandment, it's still, the, the first commandment is still first. To love the Lord, our God, with everything that we are is still the first priority for every believer, right? And then it's in our love for God and knowing his love for us that we are actually empowered to love one another the way that we've been commanded. And you know what's glorious? I want, I want to show you guys one of my favorite passages as of late. So go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. This is actually, this is actually when, I, uh, when I read this for the first time, I was actually very encouraged and uh, very inspired. I was like, wow, this is, this is one of the most amazing passages that I, I think I've read as of late. And this is what Paul, the apostle, says to the church in uh, Thessalonica, in the, the Thessalonians. Yeah, this is First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, now on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. He says this, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He says, you, you, you're taught by God to love one another. And I think that's one of the most amazing things because Paul is saying the Lord will teach you how to love people. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you don't know how to love people right now, he says there's good news. The Lord will teach you. <laughs> the Lord will teach you how to love one another the way that you ought to love one another. That's, that is one of the most encouraging passages to me when it comes to this particular command to love each other is that we don't have to grit our teeth and we don't have to go to, you know, X seminar, this conference, that conference, and those things are helpful. But he says the Lord Jesus himself will teach you what it means to love each other. I think that's amazing. And so uh, John says here in 1 John 4, 7, he says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. Right? The way that we are supposed to love one another, it doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from gritting our teeth and trying harder. It comes from the Lord pouring his love into us. But you know what else is really glorious? This is, this is also fantastic. I love this. This is paragraph B is that we can increase in our capacity to love. We can increase in our capacity to love. That if we were to do an honest examination of our hearts, and this is me being honest and open about, I, I, my capacity to love is small. That's just me being honest. My capacity to love people is small. I want to get on with life. I want to do my thing. I want to do my own thing. I don't really want to stop to help somebody. <laughs> I mean, that's probably terrible to admit, but I'm being honest. 
right? I don't, I don't really want to do those things, but that's because my capacity is small. And the Apostle Paul, he says this. I mean, this is, this is 1 Thessalonians 3, and I'll read uh, verse uh, 11 through 12. He says this. May God, our Father himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. He says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. Right? So he's saying, he's saying, look, you can increase in your love to the point where you abound and overflow in your love for one another. That the command is... And, and I, I, you know, you got to say this because a lot of people, they'll ask the question. They'll say, well, what about that person over there? Well, what about that person over there? What about that person and, you know, the sick, the hurting, the poor? It's yes, we still care for the marginalized. We still care for the sick. We still care for the poor. We still care for those who may be outside the fold of the church. But the commandment specifically is that in the spiritual family, in the body of Christ, in God's family, our love, our first responsibility of love is to be toward one another. And it's we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to say... What, where is my capacity to love right now? And let me tell you, just as a, just maybe as a, hopefully as a help, it's okay to say my capacity is small. It's okay to say my capacity is small because the good news is that our capacity can increase. Our capacity can grow. And it's time for us to major on the major things and minor on the minor things because the truth of the matter is that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you know everybody will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't matter if you belong, uh, you know, to the church or not. Everybody has that appointed day where you will stand before the Lord and you have to ask, what is the rubric he will grade me on? You know, as a high school teacher, <laughs> you know, you're always asking, well, what's the rubric? What's the rubric? What are we graded on? What are we graded on? Right? And you have to provide that kind of stuff. And the Lord in the scriptures tells us what we will be graded on. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of people think they will be evaluated based upon their impact. I gave that many Bibles away. I brought X amount of people to the Lord Jesus. I, I did this thing for the Lord. I did this thing for the Lord. And look at the size of my impact. But I have a, I have a question to ask. you got to ask the question, who's greater in the kingdom of God, Billy Graham or a soccer mom? Right? Because if, if it's based upon how many people you bring to the Lord... Well, the soccer mom doesn't have a chance because Billy Graham has been televised, brought two million people to the Lord Jesus, you know, preached to the most people on the planet in church history. And it's like, I have no shot at being as great as Billy Graham in the kingdom of God. Let me propose something to you. That's not the way that God grades us. God doesn't grade you based upon your impact and how big the size of your ministry is. He grades you based upon what was the size of your heart when you did it all. What was the size of your heart when you did it all? Did you do it selfishly or did you do it all in love? Because it e love is the great, the great equalizer in the kingdom of God. Because I may not preach to a... Two million people, but I can love.
I may not, I may not you know, uh, 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 give away so many Bibles and all of these things, but I can love. I can love. You can love. And that is the confidence that we have when we stand before the Lord. You know, uh, the Apostle John, he says, you know, uh, perfect love casts out fear. And he's talking, he says that verse in relation to the judgment seat, that when we are standing before the Lord Jesus, our confidence isn't, God, look at how big I grew the ministry. Look at how big I did these things. But the confidence that we have when we stand before the Lord is, did you do it in love? Did you do it in genuine love? And so the Lord, he wants us to grow in our genuine love for one another, increasing in our authentic affection for our spiritual family. And go ahead and jump to paragraph C with me here. Is that our obedience to the new commandment is evidence of our love for God. This is really powerful. Claiming to know and to love God is rendered void if we do not have love for those who were born of him. Our love for one another is proof, not only of our love for God, but of our salvation. That we have actually been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Our proof of our love for the Lord, this is the testimony of the scriptures is if we love one another. Because just as it is impossible to serve God and money, it is also equally impossible to say that you love God and hate another brother in Christ. It's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. Just as it is impossible to serve God and money, it is equally impossible to say that you love God and then turn around and hate another brother or sister in Christ. Love for God is tangible. It's not just you walk around saying, yes, God, I love you, I love you, I love you. It looks like something. It looks like something. Right, because this is what John says in 1 John 4.20. He says, if anyone says, I love God, which you'll find a lot of people that say that. You'll find a lot of people that say, I love the Lord. I love God. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I mean, I don't, need to, I don't need to say any more than that. The Apostle John already said it. Our love for God is verified and validated by our love for each other. But look at paragraph D, and I love this part right here. Fulfilling the law. Though Christ fulfilled the law, we do not count the law null and void. But we uphold the essence of what it commands, to love one another. You see, our freedom from the bondage of sin through Christ allows us and it frees us to love one another in holiness so that we may stand with confidence before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, this is what I mean by this. 
is that the law kept us and held us in the bondage of our sin. And it was the Lord Christ Jesus who fulfilled the law and all those in him have been redeemed and freed from the, uh, f- from the law so that we could love in holiness, so that we could love in the fullness of what the Lord has for us. You see, the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5, 13 to 14, and he says this, For you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have been freed from the law, not so that we could use it as an opportunity for sin. Oh, I'm freed. You know, so now I can just freely sin. Shall we sin so that grace can abound? No. He says, use your freedom in the Lord Jesus so that you can love and serve one another in holiness. (laughs) He says, serve one another. Love one another in holiness just as the Lord Jesus exemplified in John 13 with the washing of his disciples' feet. And this last part here is is. Utterly glorious. I, I love this here. And then I want to talk about a little bit about the practicals. Is that unity in the body of Christ. Mm, love is the glue. See, when we obey, this is paragraph E, when we obey the new commandment, loving one another with divine love, unity within the body of Christ will be maintained and advanced. Though there may be many parts and expressions of God's family, our love for one another will prevent factions and dissensions from fracturing the bond of peace. Our unity is a witness to the world that the Father sent his Son. And that's in John 17, 20 and 26 there. You see, I, this, is, this is actually really amazing here. There have been many efforts in the body of Christ, nationally, globally, for unity. I've been doing a lot of studying in church history lately, a lot of reading, and there, there have been many movements of ecumenism, or where you try and get multiple churches, multiple parts of the body together. And so I'm just going to list a few here and the reasons why they gathered. So you have the Evangelical Alliance in 1846. You have the Federal Council of Churches in 1908. You have the National Council of Churches of Christ in 1950. You have the World Council of Churches. And the motivations for these ecumenical movements in the body have been because of shared history, because of doctrinal agreements on things or, you know, particular, like we, we have a mission to the nations. We, we, we want to reach the globe with the gospel. And, you know, you have, you know, specific events that happen in the body of Christ. But you know what's funny? You know, when you look at some of these movements, st- some of them are still around today, but the initial fervor and the initial zeal that they gathered with in those initial meetings, they don't have the same fervor as they used to have. 
And I want to propose something to you is that though shared history is amazing to have with unity movements, even though we want to agree on the major things about the Bible and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, though we want to, you know, be good on doctrine and though events, we're having an event in a couple of weeks, MSU Now, you know, these events and these things, they're good and they're right, but I want to propose maybe they aren't the glue that is supposed to sustain unity. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I'm onto something, but I don't know. Maybe the glue that's supposed to bind the body of Christ together is not just the glorious events where we fill stadiums or just, you know, getting a, a council of people together to agree on particular doctrines or just shared history. Maybe the glue for unity in the body of Christ is our mutual, fervent, ardent, genuine love for one another. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm on to something because the, you have to look at what binds the unity of the Trinity. Yes, they're all God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it's the love. It's the divine love that binds them together in, in, in unity. And that is what Jesus is praying. He says, Lord, let them be one just as you and I are one. And when he's talking about that, it's in the context of the upper room discourse where he says, love one another just as I have commanded you to love one another. The glue for unity in the body is our love for each other. Each other. It's our love that will transcend denominational boundaries. It's our love that will transcend racial divisions. It's our love for one another that will bring nations together. It's always supposed to be, be like that. And we've made it about events, we've made it about doctrine, and those things are good and right. But it's supposed to be our love because love never fails. Love never fails. Okay. All right. Go ahead and flip the page here. And I just want to touch on some practical aspects on what it looks like when we are to love one another as a body of believers. And some of this stuff is going to be challenging for us, but it's what we're called to. Because the truth of the matter is this, is that community and spiritual family is messy. It's messy. <laughs> and we need God to love other people well. You see, true community occurs when people are invested in the mission and are committed to one another. True community happens when we are invested in the mission and committed to one another. And this is just, I'm just going to give a comment, and this is just, I think, maybe what I've noticed. Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm a church kid. You know, I'm a PK. <laughs> you know, I church morning, noon, and night. You know, you just stay, stay long after church, and, you know, it's just, and you notice things, right? You notice things. And I think, honestly, sometimes in the West, what we've done is we've given people too easy of an out, Right, to, to, to not be committed to people, 
right? And I, I think that's, that's something that's happening in a culture where we don't want to be committed to each other. And so if you rub me the wrong way, well, I'm just going down the street to another church or I'm just going down the street to another ministry. And then when they rub me the wrong way, I'm just going to hop back and forth. And that gives us no tethering to love one another and stay in the mess and stay in the mess of working out these relationships and working out the difficult stuff when that, that's how true community happens. Everybody says, I want community. I'm looking for a community. And then when things get rough and when the boat starts rocking, I'm jumping shit and I'm severing my ties to those people and I'm going over here and then when that boat starts rocking beloved we need to we need to stay in the rocking ship and we need to tether ourselves not to not to just how we feel but to the I'm with you in the mess I'm with you, I'm with you in the in the trials and the stuff and and that's how true community happens is we have to stay committed to each other in fervent love. That's, that's how this stuff happens, right? And, you know, we live in, a, in an age where it's, we're so connected yet disconnected and all of these different things. But what I, th- it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. What the Lord Jesus told us in the first century is still the same thing that we have to stay with in the 21st century, right? And it's about, it's about being together in fervent love. Okay, so I just had to say that. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. And that's how community happens. It's about being committed to each other and not just the mission. It's not just the mission. It's about, it's about being committed to each other. So how do we practically love one another? Ooh, okay, here we go. Paragraph A. Forgiving sins. <laughs> okay. So look at this. One of the primary ways that we love one another is by forgiving or covering another's sins. Hmm. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Got real quiet. <laughs> you see, this is not to say that sin does not need to be confessed, but that we would not seek to expose, humiliate, or retain the sins of someone who has offended us. If Jesus forgave the sins of those who crucified him, we also should forgive those who have offended us especially, especially those in our spiritual family. I mean, think about it for a second. Who would not want to be a part of a community that when my sin is exposed, that when I, when I am in the midst and the, of, of the mud and the dirtiness of my own shortcomings and failings, and we, li- we live in a culture, in a society, cancel culture, where something is exposed about you, eh, you did something wrong, eh, what would it look like that if someone's sins were exposed 
or somebody was brought to light and they confessed their wrongdoing and they confessed their sins, that they would have a safe place where people aren't looking to humiliate them. People aren't looking to expose them. People aren't looking to, to, to retain and hold their sins against them. Yeah, we forgive you, but we still know what you did. What would it look like if we said, we're going to cover you in love? That's healing balm. We're going to cover you in love. We're going to forgive your sins. We're not going to expose you. We're not going to try to humiliate you, but we're going to cover you in love. Who would not want to be a part of a community like that? Where we would say, we're committed to you in love. And that's, I mean, that, I mean, that's literally what Peter says here. Because he knows. Peter knows what it means to fall short. Peter knows what it looks like to fall flat on your face and have your whole life exposed. But it was the love of the Lord Jesus that sat Peter down at breakfast in John 21 and said, I'm not done with you, Peter. Do you love me? Yes. You know, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. He didn't let him out of his call, even though he fell short. He forgave his sins. All right, paragraph B. No partiality. You see, when we show partiality, which is preferring or prioritizing another believer over another, we sin by neglecting to love one another equally. You see, look at what James says in James chapter 2. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, which is to love neighbor, according to the scripture, you are doing well. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. You see, another word for partiality is favoritism. He says, if you show favoritism, if you prefer another believer over another, either for many reasons, either their money, their power, their gifting, etc., it doesn't matter. He says, we're supposed to love one another equally. We're supposed to love one another with uh, with equal, mutual love for each other, right? And so obedience to the new commandment ensures, obedience to the new commandment ensures everyone is treated with dignity and respect within our gatherings, whether rich or poor. Scripture clearly shows that God is impartial. And if we are expected and, com- and, and we are expected and commanded to do the same. Okay, paragraph C. Giving our goods, giving our worldly possessions. You see, we practically fulfilled the new commandment to love one another by giving our worldly possessions, money, clothing, resources, etc., to those who are in need within the body of Christ. You see, John says this in 1 John 3, 16. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, does not show him compassion, how does God's love abide in him? The world's goods. You see, it's easy for us to say, okay, you need a coat, I'm going to give you a coat. 
But as equally important to the giving of the goods is the attitude that we give it in. <laughs> equally important to the gift. We can easily say, hey, here's a few dollars. Here's, some, here's a new pair of shoes. But it's the attitude as well. It's the heart posture that we give our goods. That is what matters. You see, as believers, we are called to steward, not love. Steward, not love, our worldly possessions so that we may freely care for the needs of others. Meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ proves that God's love abides in us. You see, this is what happens. When we love our worldly possessions, it diminishes our willingness to give our worldly possessions. When we have a love for the things of the world, when we are attached to what we steward, not own, when we are attached to those things, it diminishes our ability and our willingness to freely give because our fists are closed and we're hanging on so tight to what we have. And so giving goods is how we, uh, giving our worldly possessions is how we practically love one another. And I'm just going to hit these last two very quickly. Holiness is that our obedience to the new commandment cleanses our hearts from ill intent toward one another, strengthening us in holiness. You see, look at this. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, may our God and Father make you increase and abound in love for one another so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Interesting. You see, this is picking up here again. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And because love does no wrong to a neighbor, we will seek to fulfill God's commands not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal or covet. You see, when our hearts are full of God's love for his family, we will always seek one another's benefit in purity and not ill gain. You see, we live in a world of comparison and competition. And when we compare ourselves to one another and when we compete against each other, when you're in a competition, you don't want that person to win. Beloved, that is not how the body of Christ is supposed to be. We're supposed to love each other. And what that means is that we wish the best on our neighbors. Is that we don't, we don't want to compete to say, man, I hope they don't, you know, get promoted because I'm trying to, you know, you know, climb my way up and stomp on people while I'm doing that. It's about saying, I want your best because I love you. <laughs> I want your best because I love you. And when I see somebody, you know, God using somebody, I praise the Lord and I ask the Lord to continue blessing them, not secretly wishing in my heart that they would have some kind of sin that would take them down so that I can have the spotlight on me. That's not love. Love purifies the human heart. Love purifies our souls. When we have that divine love poured in our hearts, it cleanses us 
from wishing ill on, on our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap, wrap with this. Wrap with this here. This is paragraph E, talking about spiritual power and authority. The great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, is placed between the chapters about spiritual gifts and power within the church. Paul's desire for the church is to pursue love above all else so that we would use our spiritual authority, that we would use our spiritual power to bless one another and not take advantage of each other. God will entrust spiritual authority to those who love because it is the only wineskin that he expresses his power is love. It is the only paradigm that God expresses his power is in divine love. We are supposed to use our positions of spiritual authority not to say, look at me. Look at how anointed I am. Look at how the Lord is using me and how chosen I am. Because, and I was talking to a friend, I said this. I, I said, if we manipulate our way into positions of authority, we have to manipulate our way to keep our positions of authority. But what would it look like to be a people that trusts the Lord to raise us up to positions of spiritual power and authority and then using our gifts not to manipulate, not to trick, and not to deceive people or to have the spotlight on us, but to say, I'm going low, I'm going low still and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to wash your feet with the particular gifts that the Lord has given me. I'm going lower still. I'm going lower still. I'm going lower still until my life looks like Jesus who is a slain lamb. He's a slain lamb and the Christian life is about being conformed into his image and at the end of our lives it's not look at how big my ministry is. Look at how glorious my, you know, look at how much power I have on my life. It's about, it's about, do you look like a slain lamb too? Do you look like a slain lamb? He does. He does. And so I just want to end with uh, just reading 1 Corinthians 13 uh, for us, uh, just, just a few verses. So and I'm going to invite you all to stand here. This is about being a generation of laid-down lovers, people who will lay their lives down in love for each other, for each other, mutual, ardent, fervent love for one another. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own and I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. 
It is not rude, not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So, Lord, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that this is the ultimate reality of the kingdom, is love. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do a Romans 5-5 work in our hearts, even now, Lord. Even now. Lord, would you pour your love into our hearts? Not only that we would love you wholeheartedly, but that we would lay our lives down for one another in love. Lord, that we would be a generation of laid-down lovers. People who will give their lives for love. So God, I'm asking that you would anoint us as a people, fervent in love for one another, earnest in love for one another, pure in love for one another. We bless your name, Jesus, and we thank you that this is your command to us.
Lord, this glorious command, this glorious command to love one another. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give us the grace to abide in your love. And as we abide in your love, knowing that your love for us, Lord, would it overflow and would it pour out and spill over into our spiritual family. Lord, not just this spiritual family, Spirit of Christ, but Lord, to the different parts and expressions of the body of Christ all across the nation and the nations of the earth. So Lord, would you edify and strengthen our hearts in love? Lord, that we would fulfill this commandment, the new commandment that you've given to us, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.